Brian said he hadn't seen you for two weeks. Haven't saw you for a year. Uh, Paul rebuked me yesterday when he texted me and said, I haven't saw you since last year. Uh, actually, he said it was November last year. So a lot has happened, but I'm glad to be here this morning. It's lovely singing those songs with everyone. And I'm, we're going to try and pick up in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned, dis he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, thank you for fellowship. Thank you for a place to meet together in safety and for the joy of sharing in the feast that Jesus gave us when he died for us, securing our salvation. Thank you for the simple way of remembering it. And for your word this morning, which tells us so much more about that, more than we can ever take in, we just pray that you'll open our hearts to it this morning and bless us in whatever particular way we need blessed by you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll take my glasses off because I don't need to see to tell you this. Part of this is a true story. 
and part of it isn't. <laughs> and you can make up your mind which parts are true. But in 1980, when I was 15 years old, in the summer of 1980, me and a lad called Keith Shannon, whom you all know, I'm sure, I went on holiday to Port Rush. His dad arranged it. He took us to a, a guest house up there in Port Rush. He knew the family we were staying with. He told them to keep an eye on us. What a job they were given. And uh, Keith and I spent about three or four days up there. And uh, a lot of the time we spent in Barry's playing the amusement games. And if we weren't playing the amusement games when we were in Barry's, we were in the cafe eyeing up a couple of girls. I have to say we were unsuccessful in both ventures. <laughs> but uh, when we weren't there, we went on a couple of bus tours out to the Giant's Causeway. And then we went to that rope bridge. You know that rope bridge beyond Ballantoy? Because that's what it was then, the rope bridge beyond Ballantoy. And we went there a couple of times because we enjoyed it so much. And we got up to a bit of rascality. Seemingly in 2009, there were 247,000 people visited that rope bridge. Back then, you nearly had it all to yourself, apart from some tourists who actually found it because you had to leave the main road and walk over. You know what it was like. But Keith and I found it, and, and we used to enjoy going back and forward over it, and there was no fear in us, 15-year-old lads. And, uh, and we would stand at the bottom of the steps when someone did turn up and go, isn't it dreadful that somebody fell off this last year when the wind blew? And isn't it shocking that it's so far, it's 30 metres down, by the way, that's 100 feet, and it's 20 metres across. And back in those days, it was only a rickety bridge with one handrail, but Keith and I used to run back and forth across it. And at one stage when there were some tourists there, Keith put me on his shoulders and carried me across, right? And the tourists said, who are you? And I said, my name's Derek Reed, and that's Keith. And they said, he carried a reed over the rope bridge. And that's now why it's called. It's not the bridge. It's not the rope bridge beyond Ballantoy anymore. It's Carrick or Reed Rope Bridge. And that's how it got its name. Most of the story was true. The only way to get to the island of Carrick or Reed is across the rope bridge. It's been 350 years, seemingly the fishermen have been fishing salmon there. And they first erected that bridge. But now, of course, it's a new bridge. It's far safer. There's netting right down the sides. You can't fall off it. In those days, you could have. And I would think now if my son at 15 or 17, as they are now, were running back and forward over that old bridge, I'd be petrified. But young people do what young people do. I tell you that story because the next story I'm telling you is true. There is a bridge you can only get to somewhere on. And if you're away from the somewhere that you need to get to, the only way to get to is that bridge. And the word high priest 
is mentioned, or the word priest is mentioned in the book of Hebrews 28 times. 24 of those times are directly about Jesus Christ. And if you remember right back to the time when uh, Drew introduced us to the book of Hebrews a wee while back before Christmas, it simply tells us that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so this book introduces itself all about Jesus. And everything in chapters 5 right through chapters 10 is all about this high priesthood and how Jesus is a more superior high priest than the ones who came before, than the Aaronic high priests or the Levitical high priests. Jesus, as the Son of God, is the great high priest forever. And uh, so everything here is about Jesus. I want you to get that again this morning. Believers, and I talked to myself because I found myself this week thinking, you know what, you really just need to get back to Jesus. Just constantly get back to one person. Jesus. He's the bridge. The word translated from the Greek in the Latin Vulgate, which was the first translation into Latin, The word is pontifex. And that translated literally is bridge builder. Jesus, the high priest, was a bridge builder. And when it talks about the other high priests, they're talking about them being a bridge between God and man. They represented God to man and they represented man to God. They stood between God and man. For what reason? Because sin had separated God from man. Their job is to represent them, as we read in verse 1, in matters related to God. And I read that phrase this week. I thought, wow. There's so many things take up our time in life. How much time have you spent this week in matters related to God? There's a challenge. How much do, do you start your day? Do I hurriedly start my day? Do I even take the time to set aside a bit of time for God? There's no other meaning to life, really, you know, but, but God. And the priest's job back in Israel was to represent the people in matters related to God. They like us were busy too. They had jobs to go to. They had crops to get in. They had all sorts of things to do. But God had to be central to their life. And as the nation set aside by God, God had to be central to that nation. They had a job of representing the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. Now, there's a problem. The people had a, there was a gap between them and God, and God in his mercy way back then set up this priesthood where the people could bring 
sacrifices for sin and offerings to God as gifts to say, we want to have fellowship with you, God, but our sins have separated us from you, and here is our sin offerings, our sacrifices. And the priests then were able to deal gently with the people because they fully understood them. They failed too. And for that reason, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves first and then for the people. Notice here the humanity of Jesus. It's very important that we get that. He really did become a man. I think Brian already said that. You're amazed at that, Brian. So am I. So should we all be. He's sitting in heaven in the Trinity. I mentioned this the last time. And then he comes here to become one of us. And that's important because it had to be a human being who died for human beings. But was different in the respect that he never sinned. And this is important because no one ever took this honor on themselves, it says. They had to be picked by God or called by God like Aaron was. So Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I'm trying to get my head together here because I was thinking about this just yesterday in the car park outside in my car at the hospital. I remember it very clearly because in a hurry I parked my car in the multi-story yesterday morning and I wanted to have it there at lunchtime so that I could go out and have another look at this. And uh, I was sure I parked it on level five and when I went up there my car was not on level five. And I work in the blooming place, and I felt like a real numpty, David. And I looked around level five, and then I thought it must have been level seven, because there's no way I would get into level three, because I was running late yesterday morning. And I went up to level seven, and level seven smaller, and I said, it doesn't look like it was level seven. So I went back, and seemingly Jane says, you are a numpty, because the security men will have watched you on the camera the whole time, <laughs> laughing their leg off at you. And eventually I found my car on level three, so by the time I found it, I half the time to look at this, so that's why I'm feeling stupid this morning. Forgive me, there's gaps here, big gaps. I found this, and I read this, and I thought, you know what? You are my son today, I've become your father. What does that mean? Jesus surely was always God's son. Yeah, he was, but in this role that he's being called to, This is God speaking to him now as taking up this role of great high priest. And he says, you're one of them, but you are my son. You're going to represent them in matters relating to me. I wonder when Jesus found that out in his life. Michael Card wrote a song that said, long ago he blessed the earth. Born older than the years, and in a stall, a cross he saw through the first of many years. A life of homeless wandering, cast out in sorrow's way. A shepherd seeking for his flock, his life the price he'd pay. And, and sometimes I think about that, and I think, is Jesus as a baby looking across 
across he saw or does it mean he saw across the years I don't know but I, I don't think he he would have been comprehending the cross as a baby but certainly at 12 years old in the temple he tells all the great people I have to be about my father's business I have a job to do but then he goes home and in the obscurity for the next 18 years, nothing heard about him. And then he comes out and proclaims himself to be the Messiah of the world. And he knows what he's there for. He lived, with, I don't know when he, it became clear as a human to him. Because he had to grow through being a human like you and me and experience all the different experiences so he would understand us. But at some point, he clearly knew who he was and what he was about. And he knew that he was going to have to represent men in matters relating to God. And he knew there was only one way that could happen, that he would become the bridge between God and man the Pontifex, the bridge builder, who would forever bridge that gap between us and God. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus became one of us, lived like one of us, realized that he was going to represent us under his Father God in heaven to take away our sins. What, what were we relying on before that? I'll tell you what, the bridges were very rickety. Self-earned salvation. Trying to be good enough to please God. Giving enough money to please God. Whatever it was we thought we could try to do by ourselves, it was far more dangerous than that old bridge at, near Ballantoy. Uh, but now they've got a new one that's totally safe. And Jesus, this bridge, is absolutely safe. You can bet your life on it. In fact, you have to bet your life on it if you want to live forever. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I was talking to my mom during the week. I've been spending a lot of time, well, a few hours every other evening with my mom. Do you know what? It's great to start talking to your mother again after all the years we haven't spoke. I don't mean that in a certain sense. It's just, you know, life gets busy. You don't make time for the things that matter. And then when you have time, you realize, wow. You know what? This is actually quite inspirational. My mum's a wee old lady and just don't tell her I said all this, but just stoop right over and she's on a trolley thing and she never ever complains. We've had to do stuff for her and she doesn't like that, but she hasn't complained about it. She wants to be self-sufficient and she's building herself up again. But, but you know what? There's something gracious about her. Something that I didn't learn in Bible college. She sits every evening and she opens Alistair Begg's Thought for Today and she reads it. It starts with Alistair Begg. It starts with scripture. 
She reads that first, and then she reads his thoughts. And her minister brought her another book the other day, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it's the new expanded version. It's about that thick. He says, give it to me when you're, when you're finished with it. She says, come back in 10 years. <laughs> she says, I'll never read that. But she reads that, and she reads her Bible. Do you know what? The phone rings, and she never barks when she answers it, thinking somebody's disturbing me. She says, oh, hello, who's that? And she stays on for a while, and then she says, thanks very much for ringing. She puts her phone down. Do you know what? There's some theology in that. She's living well. And I mentioned to her Melchizedek the other night, and she looked at me like I had three heads. And she says, you'll need a month to talk about that on Sunday. So I'm here for a month. Uh, Melchizedek, incredible. He pops up in Genesis chapter 14. After Abraham, and he's not a soldier, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's more of a shepherd than a soldier. But when his nephew Lot is taken away by a conglomerate of kings who took away the king of Sodom and, his, and all their people, and uh, Lot and all his people along with him, Abraham rose up, got his people together, and went after those people and conquered all that conglomerate of kings and brought everybody back safely. And the king of Sodom thanked him for it and offered him everything. And he said, I don't want anything from you. But another king turned up, and his name was Melchizedek. He was king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, which means king of righteousness and king of peace. And he was the great priest of God back then. This is before... Abraham had his children and Moses was born and the Levitical priesthood had been uh, established. And this Melchizedek was king of God most high. And do you know how he blessed Abraham? He blessed him by taking out bread and wine. And he blessed him. And it says, by and no doubt, when we get to the next chapter, and I can't read you at all, there is no doubt that the lesser person was blessed by the greater person. This amazing, obscure person, Melchizedek. He turns up again a thousand years later in Psalm 110, verse 4. And that's where this comes from. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying that was talking about Christ. He's a different priesthood altogether. He's a superior priesthood. We never heard about the start of Melchizedek's priesthood, although there was one. It's not saying there wasn't one, that he didn't have a family, but we know nothing about that. And we never hear about the end of it, but there was an end to him. He was a human. But Jesus actually, he was a type of Jesus, because Jesus' priesthood never had a beginning and it never will have an end. He was always going to be representing us in matters related to God. But look at the next verse, verse 7, we read it. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was the son, he learned obedience 
from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I love those words just at the start there. During the days of Jesus' life on earth. Do you ever just stop and think about that for a minute? At one point, Jesus, back in eternity, was in heaven, in the Trinity. And then it says this, back to you, Brian, back to During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he was here. He was a man and he spent his eternal. And he reduces himself to days. One day at a time during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He knew where he was going. And you know this, I used to think Jesus, it says, and he was heard. And I'm thinking, well, God didn't save him from death. I used to think this way. What is that word, God? He died. But of course he rose again. But it's not just about death for him. He was praying to God to save him from death that all of us also would be saved from death eternally. The consequences of sin. And he was heard. How was he heard? Because of his reverent submission. He went to the cross, still believing after all those prayers and petitions that God could still save him from death. And he had to go through death. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. Now there's another conundrum. Was he not always perfect? Was there something deficient in Jesus? And the answer is no, not morally, because you pick up on perfection and you think of a moral perfection. He was made perfect in his role. And his role could only be made perfect that he would suffer like a human being for human beings, for sin, on the cross, for all of us. And that was the perfection of the role complete. And he was designated by God to be high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He took up this incredible priesthood and the bridge still is there. And it will, it'll be there until we all cross it. We'll all be with him. He'll always be the bridge into heaven. So first of all, he is the bridge. Secondly, because we've got a month. Secondly, and we have to miss out so much here. There's a whole big bit in chapter 6, you know, about it would scare the life clean out of any Christian who read it seriously. He thought about their lifestyle. He thought about how much they had missed God's goals yesterday, even how hard we tried. It talks about um, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, to have ta- who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God over and over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. 
These are the sort of word, verses that make people think, can you lose your salvation? Well, there's so much other stuff in the Bible that says once saved, always saved, if you want to put it in a cliched way. But there's a warning here. Don't turn your back. Remember this, back to what Drew said at the start of this, when he opened up Hebrews. This is about uh, Jewish people who are thinking of turning their back. In fact, they're halfway across the bridge and they're thinking, oh, we don't like this anymore. It's a bit, it's a bit shaky. Sometimes, sometimes the current of the wind gets it and life gets us and all sorts of things rattle us. And we, uh, and we look back and we think it was better back there. And the Jews are thinking back and the old stuff was better. It was easier. We're under so much... Uh, persecution as Christians and everything else. And he's saying, don't turn your back on Jesus. Keep going towards him. Whatever you're going through at the moment, temptation or troubles or sickness or trials of whatever kind, keep your eye on the, on, on the, on the island, right? You're heading there, heaven. The bridge is absolutely safe. It will hold you. You don't need to go back and get anything else because Jesus is already in heaven waiting for you. You just need to follow. Keep going. I can't explain all of that to you this morning. But here's a wee simple thing I picked up in it. If they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, this is the simplicity, simplest answer to this, and it's not all of the answer to it. There's reams written about it. But if you look at the footnote in, in the NIV, it says they are not able to be brought back to repentance. And instead of the word because, it says it can be read while while to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. What's your life been like this week? Are you living in some sort of sin bubble? Well, do you know what? In the public's eyes, they're looking at you and thinking, well, if he's a Christian, I don't want to be one. And you, in a sense, are crucifying God all over again. That's what these people were doing. They were turning their back on Jesus. And while they're doing that, or because they're doing that, they can't be brought back to repentance. But the warning is there. The writer to the Hebrews wrote it to them and says, Stop it! Stop what you're doing. Because you're doing that, you're crucifying Jesus all over again. While you're doing that, you're crucifying Jesus all over again. But you can stop now. And you can confess Jesus again and turn around and get going on the bridge again and stand up for Christ. How does the bridge hold up? That's a hard bit, but that bit, you, you need to read about that. There are warnings in the Bible that you don't understand, but I'll tell you, if you're scared of them, you probably aren't in that situation that they're talking about, okay? If, you're, if that scares the life out of you, th that's a sign of repentance. So I'm just giving you that to comfort you. 
how does, how, does, how does the bridge hold up? Well, of course it's the work of Christ. Jesus is the bridge, the great high priest. But it's held up by a promise, and the promise is made by God. Look at chapter 6 and verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And then it just to prove to us that God kept his word, it says, and after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms that what is said puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered. On our behalf, he has become a king. He has become a high priest, sorry, forever in the order of Melchizedek. I've said this too many times. I make promises that I can't keep. I make promises that I do keep. And sometimes we make promises that we can't keep because we're unable to keep them humanly. And we don't know how circumstances are going to uh, fall out or come together. And we fail to keep the promise. Sometimes we fail to keep the promise just because maybe we're lazy and we don't follow through on it. But God is different. God is perfect. If he makes a promise, he keeps it. And God promises you this morning that if you put your trust in Jesus, this high priest in the order of Melchizedek, this other priest, this, this more superior priest, Jesus Christ, his son, you will get to the other side. It's anchored, it says. We have this promise. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Where is it anchored? Well, if you go to the bridge up there in, near Ballantoy, now called Cargary, uh, it's anchored on one side into the rocks on the mainland, right? And it's anchored on the other side into the rocks on the island. And of course, it's all steel ropes and everything nowadays. It's going nowhere. In fact, it can take up to, I think it's 10 tonnes. Someone wrote an article on it that said, so unless you're really overweight, you'll be all right. So it can take up to 10 ton weight on it. And there are people managing it all the time, seemingly nowadays, to make sure that not too many people get on it. But it's safe. But this one's even safer because God promised it will be safe. And if there's something in your life that's got you to take your eyes off Jesus and think, well, 
I'm struggling with church and I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that and my health has given me problems and my marriage has given me problems and I just can't be bothered trying to keep up with this anymore. Just relax. Get your eyes back on Jesus. He is the structure that will never give way. He is the bridge to heaven and God has promised And it's as clear as the promise he gave Abraham, a man in his 90s who didn't become a father until he was 100 and his wife was 90 years old. And they had a baby because God promised it. Men swear by something greater than themselves. You hear people making... uh, I swear by whatever, uh, that, this, that, this, that and the other... But God swears by himself. God can never change. It says there are on two unchangeable things. And I have searched the Bible for years to work out what two they are. And I still can't work it out. But here, it's God's character. You want God, if you, you want to put it all in one big bunch, it's God's character. And then God's word. God's faithful. He'll never change. He sent the Son into the world who is God. He will never change. He died on the cross and he rose again and he is the bridge to heaven. Nothing can change that. And God has given us his word. That's the other thing that can never change. God, it's God's word. Sometimes we give our word to people and then we have to relent on it or go back on it. And I know that years ago, a friend of mine not too far away gave his word to someone that he'd sell the house to them at a certain price. And then he was offered 10000 more. But this person was a man of his word and he sold it at 10000 less than he could have got it, could have got for it. And some years later, I was selling the house And after I'd made an agreement, somebody else offered me 5,000 more. And because that galoot over there kept his word, I thought, well, I better keep mine too. And I sold it for what I promised. Your word is everything. And God is everything, and he keeps his word. And you can rely on this. Where is it anchored? It's anchored in the rock at Calvary where Jesus did all the work for you to get across the bridge. And then he went through the curtain right into the very presence of God with that bridge on his shoulder. And he's anchored it right at the foot of the throne of God. And he's sitting there and he is the anchor for you to get into heaven. Why would you try to get home any other way? Look at... Chapter 7. We're only, we're only 35 minutes into the month that I have. No, I'm going to finish here. Look at chapter 7 and verse 26. 28 times high priest is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. 24 times directly about Jesus Christ. Look what it says here about this high priest. Jesus. Remember I said just one word. Jesus. Get back to Jesus. Let's finish with Jesus. Such a high priest. Such 
a bridge builder meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Now I have no idea if any of that made any sense to you this morning. But I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're away from God, get back to reading the Bible. Get into that book of Hebrews. It's, it's deep stuff. It's actually almost too deep for me to stand up here to try and get it across to you on a Sunday. But I'll tell you what, as I simply, and I'm a simple guy, like, as I simply just read it over and over, there are wee snippets that God just, sometimes, it, and yesterday was one of those, in the car park, he spoke into my heart and something came alive. And I, I never forget that because I'd just been a numpty. And then God spoke into the numpty's heart sitting in his car and I was reading it out loud and somebody came and got into the car next to me to drive off and they're thinking, what is that guy doing in there? Do you love the Lord enough to open this book every morning or sometime during the day and just read something that he wants to tell you because he loves you enough to be there when you open it. But if you don't open it, you're going to be like a daddy sitting in Bally Halberd wondering how a boy's getting on in Bath. And you're just delighted when he lifts the phone and says, Hi, Dad. How are you? And I'll say, Hi, son. How's it going with you? This is how you connect with God. Leads you into a relationship with him. And then you know Jesus through what's verified in the scriptures. So please do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us enough to give us this incredible book. Not just the book of Hebrews, but all of scripture. But there's stuff in this book that is deep deep beyond our imagination, far deeper than that drop from the rope, rigid character read. And one day we're going to learn the complete depths of it. If we stay on the bridge, we'll be home and we'll see you face to face and you'll be there to welcome us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, keep us on the bridge. Don't let us turn back, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.